How y'all doing? All right, grab a Bible if you got it. Wow, people are still sleeping. Not you, they're at home sleeping. Uh, grab your Bible, Genesis chapter 39 is where we're going to be today. Um, as we continue to study through the book of Genesis and uh, see its place in our life and preparing us to live on mission um, that the Lord has given us and seeing the nations come and worship Jesus. Genesis chapter 39, we'll read it in just a moment, but I want to set it up for you to help us place it squarely in its proper setting. Moses, through God's calling on his life and his purpose in redemptive history, has led his people out of Egyptian slavery. And he has to prepare them to live in this land. They have to be equipped to live in this new place. Israel has to know the story, the narrative that defines everything that's true. They have to know what is true and what is not true. And Moses is recounting for them all of the story of Yahweh's work that is the baseline of knowing what is true and what is false. And in so doing, he teaches them how to live on mission in Canaan. To see the rule of God established in Canaan and among his people as it is in heaven. Seeing Eden regained. Seeing the rule of Christ firmly established. Israel is going to have to testify and learn to testify to the Lord's greatness in this land where his worship has been replaced by rampant idolatry and every sin that flows out of that idolatry. They have begun, as we will read as you study through the Old Testament, like Leviticus chapter 17, and you'll see Paul comment on that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, where they have learned to worship demons, and particularly the language of goat demon. Like, how nasty is that? They have worshipped demons who are disguised as deities. They sacrifice their children to these deities. The rampant misuse of sexual desire and abuse of children in the context of religious ritual. And even tyrannical governments that get in alliance to suppress people. And Moses is teaching them what is true and what is not true. Even to the point of governmental rule. In fact, we're going to learn later. They're going to come into the land and they're going to start crying for a king like the other nations. And the Lord says to Samuel, they have not rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me from being their king. I'm their king. Yet they want one like these other nations. And Moses is preparing them to live in that land and bear witness to the Lord appropriately. Moses knows that Yahweh's saving history has been woven together. He knows that God has been at work in these his people and he is in this moment preparing them through the life of Joseph. And the fact, and just think with me here for a second. The fact that God is so woven the details of history together. 
from creation to this moment. Down to the timing of when someone shows up and when someone leaves. In order to save his people. Reveals to us the majesty of the glory of God. That he is so working in history to bring all of this together. At the right moment. At the right time. And Moses knows this. And he's telling them this story. So they can learn who God is. And worship him appropriately. As Graham Goldsworthy says about the Old Testament in particular, and its gospel arcs to Jesus. He says, as Christians, we recognize that Israel's history is not haphazard, nor a series of random incidents, but as in all history, it is governed by the purposes of God. The unique feature of Israel's history was that its purpose involved both revelation of salvation and the way of salvation. What Goldsworthy is saying is God has so woven this thing together to show he's governing it all by his purposes to show us how to be saved and how to live as saved people in the world. And Israel is the microcosm and the land is the microcosm of our lives in Christ around the whole earth because God's aim from the beginning was never merely a strip of land in the Middle East. It was fill the earth and subdue it. All of it. Abraham, all nations blessed through you. And so we have here a narrative that teaches us how to be saved and live as saved people in the world to bring Christ's glory. Ultimately, the Lord Jesus, through His servant Moses, is providing this narrative for us that defines what's true what the good news of the kingdom is. And he teaches us how to live among the nations and make disciples. So Genesis chapter 39, with that as our framework, we'll read the whole chapter and then we'll come back. And I'm giving you all that I have today. There are more notes on the blog than I have time for. And in case you don't know, uh, all the sermons are podcasted. And so if you have the podcast app, either Apple or I don't know about that other operating system. All I know is Apple. And I think there's another one somewhere out there. Um, find your podcast app and you can do Three Rivers and all the sermons are posted there. And so you can go back and listen to them there. You can listen to them on the website. So all the notes are there and you will hear what I say and you can look and compare and go and do your own study. So I'm going to give you everything here that's posted on the blog, okay? Because you'll be here too long. So there's more for you to study. So I'm going to read it, give you some of what we have this morning, make some application, and then we'll be done. Genesis 39 beginning in verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from, or had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Now, captain of the guard, if you looked over to chapter 40 and read the first three verses, you would learn quickly that captain of the guard is like a prison warden, and so Potiphar is the prison warden over a royal prison for Pharaoh. So Potiphar oversees a prison for royal prisoners, and he is the warden of that. And so he purchases Joseph from the band of Ishmaelites that his brothers sold him to. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. You're going to see that repeated three times. Repetition is key to learning. And the Lord wants you to know right off the bat, I'm not absent from this people. I'm right in the middle of it. The Lord was with Joseph. 
Joseph. And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of, the, of his Egyptian master. His master saw that Yahweh was with him and that Yahweh caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. That's awesome. Potiphar's not a believer. Potiphar is becoming aware through the life of Joseph that this God I've heard of is present and he makes Joseph succeed. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, Yahweh blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of Yahweh was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. The only other place this phrase, phrasing is used to describe a person in the Old Testament is in regard to Rebecca. So I guess they were good looking. Like me. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master, or because my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge, he is not greater in his house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, so this isn't a one-time occurrence. This is ongoing. He would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. He shed this piece of clothing to get away. Verse 13. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. And she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Just providential side note here. The next chapter, you're going to see some more royal prisoners be sent. They're going to be key to the future. And the fact that God so ordained that Joseph be purchased by Potiphar and no one else is miraculous in and of itself. And just another indicator of God's weaving together of history for our good. 
One of the side notes of this is not in the notes. Is as you read your Bible and you pay attention to these gospel truths. These gospel tributaries. These truths about God. These lessons on how to live life in the kingdom. There is a great comfort that should sit down on top of you. Because you are in Joseph's life. Because you are in Christ. And there's no detail he's missed. No detail he's missed. None. Mm. Verse 21. But Yahweh was with Joseph. (laughs) And showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because Yahweh was with him. I don't think it's a mistake that's repeated three times either, but I can't prove that. It's hearsay or circumstantial evidence. (laughs) Three times Father, Son, Spirit. Three times Yahweh is with him. I don't think that's... Accidental. I really don't. But anyway, last sentence. And whatever he did, Yahweh made it succeed. Ultimately, the Lord Jesus inspiring Moses to write this narrative of what is true and teach us how to be saved and teach us how to live in the world is providing for us the definition of what's true, what's good, what's right, how to live, how to be saved. So here's what I want to do. In the notes, you're going to see GT. It's not for Georgia Tech because that would be sinful. That's gospel tributaries. <laughs> Truths about God, TG. And then life under his reign, L. So you'll see out beside some of these notes that I have for you. This is a gospel tributary. This is a TG, a truth about God. Or this is an L, life under his reign. First thing I want to draw your attention to before we jump into those observations is a reminder of what Jesus told us in John 5, 46 to 47 and how we are to read this. Jesus taught us how to read it. He didn't fail to give us a lens. Jesus said, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me for he wrote of me. Who wrote this? Moses. Who's Moses writing about? Jesus. Verse 47, but if you do not believe his writings... How are you going to believe me? Right? So, with that lens on, what are some gospel tributaries that we see in the passage? The first one I want you to notice is that Joseph is sent to another land as a grace gift for saving a people from all nations. Now, I don't know if you remember, but when we looked at Genesis 50-20 as the banner over the life of Joseph as we finished our study in the book of Genesis... We took you to Psalm 105, verse 16 to 17, and the psalmist interpretation of the life of Joseph. Jesus telling us this is about him, and the psalmist telling us how it happened are key to us seeing the gospel tributaries. What does Psalm 105, 16 to 17 say? When the Lord broke all supply of bread on the land, he sent Joseph before them. The gospel tributary is the sentness, not Joseph. The fact that God sent 
an ambassador to prepare the way is a gospel tributary because it shows us the pattern of life in the kingdom of God. You could technically, technically make this a GT and an L. A gospel tributary and a life under the reign of Christ. Because in the gospel, the gospel doesn't go anywhere unless it is sent by God. And Paul makes this argument in Romans chapter 10, right? He said, how are they to hear unless somebody preaches? How are they to preach unless they are sent? Thus, how beautiful it is the feet of those who bring good news. In other words, God's pattern of gospel work is to send. God sends. God mobilizes ambassadors to bear witness to his name. And we see here in this story that Joseph is the one who is sent. And the evidence of his sentness is the fact that everywhere he turns, Yahweh is making a way for him. Jesus said in John 17, 18, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus, the fulfillment of all of this, speaks to the Father in his prayer for us. Recognizing that he himself, Jesus, the creator of all things, was sent by the Father. If God's pattern is sending and he sends the Son, question of application, who do we think we are? We are a sent people. You notice this little thing we do at the end of the service? Three rivers you are. Oh, a few of you got it, right? That is not accidental. That is spoken over you, trusting that the grace of God will cause that to land in your soul. And realize that when you leave this place, we're not sending you to live life as its end. As though life were the point. You are sent on mission. And we open God's word to teach us how to live a gospel life in a gospel way. In our world as sent people because God sent Joseph and the Father sent the Son. And Jesus said, Lord, as you sent me, I'm sending them. There's no such thing as a Christian life that isn't sent. So we see this gospel tributary here of Joseph is sent as the Lord's grace to bear witness about his name. And we even see in the life of Potiphar, whether Potiphar believes or not... I don't think there's ever much evidence of his conversion, but it becomes clear that Potiphar knows it's the Lord who put him here, and it's the Lord who's causing these things to happen. Therefore, I want him to be in charge. Joseph is bearing witness to the name of the Lord. Which, by the way, we'll get to applications. I'll stop, stop. Applications coming. Another gospel tributary here that's important to note is that Joseph suffers in the place of his brother's. In order to save them through his suffering. And through that suffering he will be ruler over them. Who deserved to be thrown in the pit and sold? Was it Joseph? No. It's the ones who threw him in the pit. Right? But who suffers in their place for their sin? Joseph does. And who is sold into slavery. And through his suffering of slavery and imprisonment will be the one to rise as ruler over them. Do you smell any gospel there? You should. 
Because what we see in this pattern here is God's servants suffering in the place of others in order to save others. Jesus Christ came and he took on flesh and he suffered in our place for our sin to save us and liberate us. That's one of the clearest, starkest gospel tributaries we see in this passage. We see another gospel tributary here that Joseph's status and favor are credited to Potiphar who's not worthy of that favor. Notice in these passages, verse 3, his master saw that Yahweh was with him and that Yahweh caused all that he had to succeed in his hands. Verse 5, from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all the land, Yahweh blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. A little substitutionary atonement here for you. There's this indicator here that Joseph's righteousness is credited to Potiphar because of Joseph, not because of Potiphar. Hey, you want a little good news statement today? I'm not good. I'm not righteous. But through faith in Jesus Christ, God gives to me the righteousness of Christ and takes away my guilt and blesses me for Christ's sake because I have Christ's righteousness. God doesn't look at me with rose-colored glasses. He doesn't look at you with rose-colored glasses. He puts the blood of Christ over you and says, righteous. Righteous. God's substituting righteousness for sin and dealing in favor to the sinner. The favor and the grace of God to us in Christ and these good providences are purchased at the cross. All these good gifts that we receive, that we read about in the narrative, are purchased for us by the blood of Christ. And Joseph gives us a little hint of how God works in the world. Here's a little truth about God and a little life under his reign observation. Joseph is tested to prepare him for the work he was sent to do. Joseph is tested. We see that Joseph is put into the grinder here pretty hard. Joseph doesn't come down to Egypt and instantly go into Pharaoh's house. He's sold. He's falsely accused, but he's stuck into a prison. And Joseph is tested to prepare him for the work he was sent to do. One of the great gospel truths, truths about God, and truths about living life in the reign of his kingdom, is that God is gracious to test us. Not for him to learn what's in us, he already knows, but to squeeze out of us what is in us. To show us that he is capable and he is able. And you think this is rare to just Joseph? Matthew 4.1 Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into testing. The Lord puts Joseph in testing in preparation for the work. God will be gracious to test us in preparing us for living on mission to do the work he's given us to do. Listen, students, I want you to look up at me. Students, look up at me. College students, look up at me. Do not expect this to be easy. Expect the Lord Jesus to put you in testing to wring out of you the good things he's put in you. There's no such thing as a life on mission that doesn't involve testing. If the Lord Jesus himself was tested, again, who do I think I am? He was put in that difficult situation to wring out 
behavior that must come out when life continues to test us. James even says it in James 1, 2 to 4, count it all joy. I always read that passage and go, James, stop it. Just stop. But then I realize, well, it's James, and James knows some suffering. And so he's speaking not from the ivory tower of scholarship, but from the crucible of experience. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Verse 12 of that same chapter, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Testing is necessary to teach us to stretch our legs in gospel work. Listen to me. God has not given us life as an end in itself. He hasn't given us jobs as ends in themselves. He hasn't given us provision as end in itself. All of those are tools in a gospel tool belt to do great commission work among the nations. To do great commission work in Roman Floyd County. And the problem with much of us is we've entered enemy territory. We've crossed into Canaan. And the idols of that world talk to us subtly. And what we begin to do is we begin to switch places. And we put means, job, marriage, life. And we take them and we make them ends. We make them points, purposes, end games and we begin to seek them first rather than the kingdom of God first and we try to use the kingdom of God as a means to get to those ends and Jesus won't have it he will test us to squeeze those things out of us to prepare us to do work Joseph is tested to prepare him for the work he was sent to do we should expect also to be tested in preparation For that kind of gospel work. In other words. It's going to be a challenge. A life. Under his reign. Observation is sin. Tries to hide in the dark. Sin will try to blind us. To its consequences. Sin will try to isolate us. From others. Sin wants to entice us. To harm others. By seeking our own pleasure. Sin wants to rob of the fruit of righteousness and destroy those who sin. You notice Potiphar's wife always tries to get Joseph alone. She always tries to isolate him and she doesn't leave him alone. If you read again verse 7 to 12 of chapter 39, you see this trying to hide in the dark, blinding to its consequences, isolating from, seeking to entice. There's a real enemy. There is a real enemy. And that enemy seeks to use sin as a means of wrecking gospel work. I'll give you one more life under his reign. And then we're going to jump to some applications. Oh, there's many. I'm going to give you this one. Here we go. Life is not absent when... Or uh, life. Oh, boy. L. This is me. My notes. My notes are... They're tricking me. I'm dyslexicing right now. Is that a word? L colon, and the words are coming together. L, it's life. Life under his reign. Here we go. All right. It's separated now. Discipline my seeing. Here we go. God is not absent when hardships come. Rather, God is near, working for his mission and our good. 
I want you to recognize the three times in this passage we learn that Yahweh was with Joseph. Somehow, in our broken self, we have a tendency when hard things come to wonder where God is. Because somehow it has slipped into our psyche that only bad things happen when God's absent. The Bible never teaches us that. That is the lie of the enemy. That is the lie of a world system. We are given three times here. I told you earlier, I think it's Trinitarian. I think God did it on purpose. I think three times one for each of the persons of the Trinity. Again, can't prove that, but that's what I think. So don't rob me of that joy. He reminds us three times in the middle of his imprisonment and temptation that Yahweh was there. He was present. So hear me. When things go south, God isn't absent. In fact, his hands are on it, weaving it together for good. And listen, you need to die on that hill. Do not throw that comfort away for something false. God is not absent when hardships come. I want to I encourage you to go study Psalm 44 and then Romans 8. And I want you to pay close attention to Paul's use in Romans 8, 28 through the end of the chapter, his use of Psalm 44. Because in Psalm 44, they haven't sinned. Everything's right. They're worshiping the Lord properly. They're being obedient. And yet, he's not going out with their armies and their perception. They're losing. Things are going south. And they say, we're like sheep led to slaughter for your sake. And you're left with this. This is an uncomfortable psalm. That's not where I, I didn't go to Psalm 44 for that. I need to be lifted up. Whoa, Psalm 44 is kind of putting me down. Not feeling it. They're doing right and they're dying. Paul quotes that psalm after Romans 8, 28. We know that all things God works together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And he goes on to quote Psalm 44. And then he makes this beautiful statement. Therefore, we are more than conquerors through Christ. His point Sometimes you may have to die. Sometimes it may be a sheep led to slaughter and you give your life for the sake of the kingdom. And he wasn't absent. He was right there. And for his sake, for his glory, you gave your last drop of blood and you're more than a conqueror. You didn't lose. You just died and gained the world. That's the Bible's perspective. That's the kingdom's perspective. So when it's hard, it's not God absent. It's God present, weaving it together. And yes, we may die. We may. But he wasn't absent. And he was weaving it together for gospel advancement and my growth in Christ. That's why Paul will say we're more than conquerors. You can't beat that. You can't stamp that out. It's undefeated. So three rivers, as you engage your world and it looks like things are in the tank, no, they are not. They're not. And you need to know that if you're going to live on mission. Because not all mission looks like success in the world's eyes. Sometimes the world calls it loss. And Jesus says, win. 
So how do we apply these things today? I got three minutes and 50 seconds. Here we go. How do we apply our passage? There are some things we need to believe. believe. There are some things we need to know. And there are some things we need to do. Three Rivers, I want you to believe that this pattern we see in Scripture of being sent is the pattern of personal and corporate life. It's the pattern. There's no other pattern. Listen, I'm going to tell you a little secret. How do we manage growth at Three Rivers Church? Y'all might need to edit this part out. Is we insist that the entire church is the missionary. And there is nothing here for you to consume. There's nothing here to get. There are no spiritual wares here to get. We're not selling spiritual goods for indulgence's sake. You know what we offer you? Equipping to live on mission. Because you see, if Moses is right, if, if we go all the way back to the beginning, if Moses is right, and I believe he is, we're Christians, this is Christian scripture, we believe it's true, right? John 17, 17, your word is true, sanctify them by the truth. We believe it's true, right? If Moses is right, God's purpose is to equip his people to live on mission, being sent for his purposes of restoring and bringing all things back to the original Edenic state through the gospel. Right? That's the point. That's the point. Meaning, we ask this crazy question, what if the whole church was the missionary? Right? That question keeps us on point and keeps us from having to buy more chairs. Go buy a building. But what I do believe with all my heart that if we obey Jesus and if we stay on mission and we begin to really make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and we exponentially just do what Jesus told us to do, we'll reach northwest Georgia, northeast Alabama, southeast Tennessee. Not because we offer spiritual wares and a service for people to come and have their ears tickled or to get something, but it will be us catching the gospel and multiplying it into people and them catching it and multiplying it into people. And the exponential increase of 2 to 4 to 8 to 16 cannot be stopped. It's how it works in other places. And I'm convinced it's gospel fruit. It's the seed of the gospel. So Three Rivers Church, believe we're not just trying to, to do something cranky. We're not trying to be cranky or we're not trying to be mean. and We're not trying to do all any of that stuff. We want you to live on mission. Because if the Bible's true, it's what we're here for. We're not here for any other purpose. We're not here to get married. Marriage is not the point. We, my wife and I have done two marriage retreats this year for people in different places. And one of the emphases we find in the Bible is marriage is this temporary vehicle to show us Jesus and His church. Marriage will not be in existence one day. But what do we do? We turn it out as the thing. It's what I'm here for. No, it's not. It's a vehicle to show us Jesus. And it will have its ending point when he returns and fully establishes the kingdom. It won't be needed anymore. 
right? Jobs to get paid to do them or a temporary necessity. And we go in debt to get a degree that may or may not help me do it. As though it were the end all and be all. It's a tool to get us to the end of Jesus' fame among the nations. Get the cheapest education you can get. Spend as little money as you possibly can. Doing the one thing to help you do to subdue created order for the sake of Jesus Christ. Your career is not your God. And it might need to change three or four times in your life. And that is okay. Success by the world's standards is not one career and a million dollars. It's Jesus Christ who crucified his fame among the nations. You do that, you will stand one day on the last day and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Okay, I spent more time on that application and the clock's off. I'm almost done. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. Believe that the gospel and all its facets are richly present in all of Scripture. And that the Lord intends us to know those truths, tell those truths, and be fishers of men. Listen, there's no such thing as professional ministry. And if there is, you're all in it. I want you to believe that the gospel and all its facets are richly present in the Bible. It's all there. You don't need anything else. It's in the manual. And the Lord intends you to know. Not just me to know. He wants you to know. He loves you. He cares for you. He put His Spirit in you. He gave you a new heart. He gave you His Word. And He wants you to tell those truths. He wants you to be fishers of men. Right? I want you to believe that. I want, I want you to work that into your belief structure that I was called for that. Because you were. When you live life that way, man, we're crazy, gospel-centric, gospel-loving, gospel-sending, mobilizing people. It can't be stopped. Third, I want you to know, I want you to know that as you take territory for salvation and the rule of Jesus, it's going to be hard. There's enemy-held territory, and we invade it, the enemy strikes back. Difficulty is not an indicator of God's absence. Rather, it's evidence you're in the right fight. Satan's triumvirate of evil, the world, the flesh, and the devil, will seek to entice you, hide sin, isolate you, seek its own incubation, and even perhaps set that thing up, that tool, that means as a God in and of itself. And the end is to kill you and make you ineffective. So what do you do? You resist sin. You fight against sin. Sin seeks to stop the work of the gospel. Which is why we cannot let it sit and incubate. You've heard me say this a hundred times here. Sin is atmospheric. And it's viral. Which is why the Bible says things like Romans 8, 12 to 13, 13. So then you brothers, we're debtors, or so then brothers, we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We need to really believe that the wages of sin is death. So know these things. Finally, while on mission... Be a faithful and trustworthy ambassador in order to be a pleasing aroma of Christ 
among those around you who need to hear the gospel from you. While on mission, be faithful and be a trustworthy ambassador and be a pleasing aroma of Christ around you. I can't help but think, because it, it's every day in my house when my wife comes home. She works a lot of hours every week in a dark and hard place, in a dark and hard part of our county. And she's got 30 plus little kindergarten, first grade, broken, traumatized little ones who see her as a mama. Because she's a safe place where they can eat and where they can be treated like a human being. And she gets to be the aroma of Christ in a broken and hard place and share Jesus with them. And she showed me a little video of one of her employees, one of her volunteers, who on a daily basis grind this stuff out, singing Amazing Grace. And these little ones there singing Amazing Grace. They don't yet know Jesus, but they're hearing this good news. And there's this smell of Christ. <laughs> there's this aroma of grace as you invade darkness. And the reason we have to talk about it is because you've got to unpack it because there are many hard days. Many hard days. Trauma and hunger are ugly things. But you're called to be the aroma of Christ where that aroma is not. So three rivers, you are indeed sent. And know this, know this. The gospel always produces fruit. It might not be tomorrow, might not be next week, might not be next year. But the seed of the gospel will always produce fruit. All that from the life of Joseph. All that from the life of Joseph. What about you? But I believe Jesus is worthy of our worship. That he would give us such a story to mobilize us to go to such a task and to worship him where he's not worshipped. So three of us, we dare not fail to worship today. Okay? Let's pray and let's prepare to sing. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you will help us to um, worship you well. So that as we're practicing in here, we will do out there. Father, I pray that the songs we sing in here would be honoring to you. That you would hear them from, from hearts whose Delight is set on you. And that you would be glorified, exalted, lifted high. And that as we join in with the heavenly host, that you would receive all of your due. Because you are worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. But I also pray that you will take these practice moments and replicate them tomorrow. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, and let there be the aroma of Christ as we present among those who are perishing. Jesus, would you be pleased to multiply the kingdom in northwest Georgia? I, I really believe you want to do that through us. I believe that's what you called us here for. We hadn't grinded out 17 years of obedience to try to do this and around the world. See you not multiply the kingdom here. So would you multiply the kingdom in disciples, making disciples, making disciples. And Lord, this morning, maybe that has to begin in you ripping out 
cold, dead expectations and putting in the expectation of a sent life on mission, making much of Jesus, even in the hardship. So Lord, whatever needs to happen this morning, I guess what I'm asking you to do is would you just do it? I don't know every heart, but you do. So would you work in such a redemptive manner as to lift up, encourage, and mobilize and open our mouths to testify to Jesus. And then, would you do good? Would you bless them for Jesus' sake? Would you bring salvation for Jesus' fame? Would you heal hunger and trauma for Jesus' fame? Would you heal foster kids and adoptive kids for Jesus' fame? Would you supply resources for Jesus' fame? Mobilize your people. Be glorified, we pray. In 